Jesus called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Please pray with me. Dear God, we ask you, as we do each week, to be here with us this morning, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. A couple of weeks ago, Aya and I went to see The Martian, which I quite liked, and judging by the amount of money it made, most of you have seen it too. Matt Damon is accidentally stranded on Mars and has to figure out a way to survive for, I think, almost a year until NASA can mount a rescue mission to come back and get him. It's very cool. He, uh, he even figures out a way to farm potatoes using his own uh, fertilizer, shall we say. It's a very sort of triumphant story. Um, against super long odds, he succeeds. Uh, spoiler alert, I guess. Um, Although, if you thought there was a chance Matt Damon, one of our most beloved stars of screen, would die at the end, stranded on Mars, you haven't seen very many movies. But anyway, it's that sort of triumphant aspect of the story that I was thinking about this week. Doesn't it seem like every movie about space has the scene at the end where mission control breaks out into uproarious applause? Right? You all know exactly what I mean. There's... There's that hour and a half of tension, and then right at the end, everyone breaks out into this roar of approval and wonderfulness. Uh, we did it. Yay, our guy is going to get home. The Martian, Gravity, Apollo 13. In fact, every movie that has a control room <laughs> ends with a scene of the control room celebrating. And in fact, this sort of, this knowing that it's going to happen actually serves a storytelling purpose because you as the viewer, as soon as you see the control room working to get somebody home, you know that no matter how bad things get up there or out there or down there or wherever, things are going to be okay. This movie will end with the control room bursting into applause. It's just the rules. And of course, that's why it can be powerful to subvert those rules. That's why I like it when a movie turns this convention on its head. I can think of a couple of instances where there's the usual end of the movie, everything turned out okay, celebration going on. For you curious film fans out there, I'm thinking specifically of uh, The Fifth Element and The Cabin in the Woods where this happens. I'm sure there are more examples, but those are the ones that come to mind specifically where during the celebration, the camera finds the sort of like lowly intern, you know, sitting in the corner still in front of his screen and his tie is loosened and his shirt's all rumpled and his glasses are askew and he's chewing on the end of some writing implement and all of a sudden he turns slowly with a concerned look on his face to face the celebration that's happening all around him. Hey guys, he says, but of course no one can hear him. The, the celebration is roaring too loudly. They're too happy they've succeeded. Guys, he shouts, and finally everyone stops 
and turns and looks at him. I think we've got a problem. This is how I felt this week, reading this little short story from Mark chapter 12, where Jesus is sitting and watching people put their offerings into the treasury. Many rich people, it says, put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. And then Jesus called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. At first, this passage was a great relief to me. As I'm sure you were over the last few weeks, I was a little tormented filling out my pledge card, my St. Francis pledge card this year. You want to be generous? You want to support the work of the church? Of course you do. But you also want to be reasonable about your needs, your family's needs, sort of what's in your future this year. You know, it's actually sort of a shame now that I think about it that we didn't read this story last week when we actually did this, right? We actually came up and put our pledge cards on the altar just like they did in this story in Mark chapter 12. You know, I wonder uh, how it would have changed things if Jesus had been sitting here watching. How would you have felt bringing your pledge card forward? You may or may not have added a few zeros, wouldn't you have? But I'm uh, getting a little bit ahead of myself. In the reading, the widow only gives a little bit of money, as opposed to the rich people who give lots. Whew, right? This is a load off. Jesus is saying that it's okay to only give a little bit. Yay! Mission control erupts into applause. But wait. The intern over in the corner says that there's a problem. Because the widow didn't give a little. The widow gave a lot. She gave everything she had. She gets praise from Jesus, not because her offering is small, but because it is huge. It is everything. Right? She makes the sacrifice that the rich young man we read about a few weeks ago wasn't willing to make. You remember that story, right? That guy came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, follow the commandments, buddy. And he said, I've been doing that since I was a child. And so Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell all you have, everything, give it to the poor, follow me. And we read that that young man went away sad. This is the bad news about stewardship, right? About your finances. Jesus doesn't ask, actually, for 10%. He doesn't ask for 25 or even 50%. Jesus asks for every stitch of clothing on your back and every stick of furniture in your house. He wants everything. And this bad news extends past your money, too, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks plainly about what it really means to be a follower of Christ. Not only don't murder, don't even ever be angry. Not only don't commit adultery, don't ever even have a lustful thought. Not only don't retaliate against someone who hurts you, turn the other cheek to them, let them hurt you again. Not only actually and truly love your friends and family, which is hard enough, but actually and truly love 
your enemies. This is terrible. This story of the widow's offering, this short story, shows us one thing. And it's not that the standard for being a good Christian is low and easily achieved. Just two copper coins that equal a penny. In fact, this story doesn't show us how to be a good Christian at all. It shows us, rather, that there's no such thing as a good Christian. Because I'll confess to you, if all I had was a penny, I wouldn't give it to the church. I'm keeping it for myself. That's the honest truth. Lord have mercy. I suspect you might feel the same. This is the great sobering realization for every one of us. We're not the widow offering a small token that pleases Jesus. We're the wealthy offering out of our abundance who are horrified to hear Jesus saying that it's no good, that it's not enough. So exactly how much do I have to give or pray or serve, or love, or do, to be a good Christian. What is the standard? Imagine that Jesus had been here last week, sitting here, watching us all hand in our pledge cards. There is not a single person in this room, or anywhere in the world for that matter, who would have felt comfortable handing their pledge card to Jesus for his inspection. Thankfully, we don't have to. It is not we who make offerings to Jesus. It is Jesus who became the offering for us. You see, after Jesus has this interaction with the rich young man, the one in which he makes it clear that nothing less than everything is what God wants from us, his disciples are flabbergasted. The scripture says they were exceedingly astonished, right? Not just astonished, exceedingly astonished. They ask him, and you can almost hear the horror in their voices as they ask. They ask him, then who can be saved? If this is the standard, who can be saved? And Jesus looks at them and he says, With humans, it is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. For humans, it is impossible. No one gives their last penny to God. Everyone keeps their last penny for themselves. No one truly loves their enemies as much as they love themselves. No one is truly free of anger lust, or resentments. With people, it is impossible. But not with God. This is the good news of the gospel, that all things, everything is possible with God. And here's the thing for us this morning, and actually it was the same thing for the disciples after Jesus' interaction with that rich young man. It's great, of course, to hear that all things are possible with God. But really, we're not concerned with all things. 
we're concerned with one thing. It makes logical sense to us that all things should be possible with God. After all, he's God. All things better be possible with him. But there's a more pressing question for us. Is one thing possible with God? Is it possible for God to love me? Is it possible for God to save me? Yes. And not only is it possible, it's already done. When St. Paul, who just by the way proclaimed himself the chief of sinners, desperately called out for salvation from what he called this body of death, he immediately gave thanks to God for the gift of Jesus Christ. It is not we who make offerings to Jesus. It is Jesus who became the offering for us. And when Jesus said, it is finished, while he hung there on the cross, he had in his mind all the not good enough sacrifices that you might bring forward every day. He had in his mind his own perfect sacrifice offered once and for all for the sins of the whole world, yours and mine. He knew that his work was accomplished. So now, as you approach the Lord, whether it's for communion, whether it's for baptism, whether it's with a pledge card or a prayer, or at the very end of your life, Jesus will be sitting there, just as he was at the treasury. But Jesus isn't there to check your qualifications or to judge your worthiness. He's there to stand in your place. He's there to replace your qualifications with his. He's there to give his worthiness to you. Who will rescue us from this body of death? Thanks be to God, for it is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.